Hi, this is Joe Holland and Charles Blackwood with Property Management Systems. Uh, this is episode number two of our podcasts. Uh, the first one was regarding insurance uh, with Bayot and Missy from Buckner Group. We received an excellent uh, response from that, better than what we anticipated. So we uh, we've received some requests from um, other board members uh, looking for podcasts, and we thought we would uh, continue this. Um, Charles Blackwood is uh, a longtime property manager with our office. How long have you been here, Charles? Um, ten years. Ten years. Um, I consider him a uh, excellent friend and confidant. Um, in our meeting, we thought we would call this podcast uh, "Chuck and Joe's Excellent Adventure." So, um, what? What we're going to talk about today is the re- the relationship between uh, the board of directors at an HOA and the property manager. Uh, I often uh, refer to that the relationship as a forest, and the property manager, property management systems is responsible for maintaining the forest. That went until pruning the trees, uh, making sure that they don't have uh, uh, fungus or uh, some sort of disease, um, making sure that they're fertilized, generally making sure that the forest is healthy. The responsibility of the board is directing the forest in the, which way you want it to grow. Do you want it to grow this way, uh, that way? Um, just how, how the forest looks. That's generally what I found to be the best relationship with our company. I found that to be the most effective and we get the best results um, for the HOA, which is the bottom line of um, everyone's goal. Um, so uh, Charles is here to kind of uh, detail some of these items where uh, we're responsible for maintaining the forest. Um, probably the most important one and the one that uh, is watched most closely is the money. And it, the bottom line is uh, finances and how much um, people you're receiving and and what that allows you to do so Charles maybe uh, talk a little bit about yourself and your experience and then maybe lead us into finances thanks Joe I am um, been with property management systems a little over 10 years I've been managing property for about 30 years between Joe and I you have 60 years experience um, we've done this for a long time chewed a lot of the same mud um, a lot of experiences that maybe in a future podcast we can um, kind of talk to you about some of the, the, the funny experiences and the, uh, and the day-to-day things in property management that come up because truly no day is the same. Um, it's uh, Some good stories there for sure. Some really good stories. And the relationship with a property manager and a board of directors is really very symbiotic. Um, 
property manager is really designed to be an extension of the board, to work out the board's direction and discretion. I find that in the industry, a lot of people think the property manager acts unilaterally and makes all of the decisions and um, enforces those decisions when um, if we just jump right into finances, um, to kind of correct that assumption, the manager oversees your finances. We make recommendations to the board of directors on how to allocate and reserve your funds. We will make recommendations on the amount of monthly dues or the amount of any special assessment. But those numbers and those decisions are uh, made by your board. The final decision rests with them as to how much they're going to charge for uh, monthly dues, how much they're going to charge for any special assessment. Um, the manager at that point is then tasked with enforcing that or to make sure that we're collecting those dues in a timely manner, that we're collecting those um, assessments. Oftentimes we find um, people when they call and anytime you're talking about taking money out of their pocket or raising dues or assessments, um, rightfully so, they may be upset. Someone's on a fixed income. Um, We often hear, well, I moved into this HOA because the dues were low. And we know that the times that we live in now that um, the cost of inflation and the cost of goods and services have skyrocketed, it has necessitated dues increases and assessments literally across the board. Um, Oftentimes people think that the manager made that decision and are, you know, the ones responsible for that. And what I could, you know, just emphasize today is that's not a manager that's doing that. It's a manager that is tasked with the enforcement of that and to try to make that palatable for everybody in the HOA. Um, Joe? Yeah, um, that, that's a, to- a tough one. The What I see out there right now is uh, the number one problem that we struggle with on a day-to-day basis in Utah is reserve funds and having enough in the reserve fund. And everyone would like to look there, have their HOA look perfect and beautiful and everything maintained. And when an item exceeds its useful life, that uh, we immediately have the funds there available to pay for it. But the cold hard truth is the reverse of that in Utah. On average, HOAs have 10 to 20% of the reserves Put away. Now, I'm not saying we're at 85%. We have 15% to go. Honest to God, it's almost nothing. So it is a struggle to uh, and a true art to figure out how to make those uh, reserve funds uh, last and um, maintain a beautiful property. That's a that's a true art and a skill. Yeah, that's a difficult one. I mean, some of those things, those expenses that um, <clears throat> that hit, you know, the day-to-day operations can include landscaping, cleaning, repairs, and maintenance. And your manager is there to make recommendations on how those funds should be allocated, to make recommendations on um, contractors and timing and um, how to use those funds in order to maintain your community so it best um, protects your property value and... Um, keeps your community in a position where, you know, the saleability of your home uh, remains intact. Um, but again, at the end of the day, it becomes really a symbiotic relationship with the board and the board looking over those recommendations and making the final decisions. 
And then the property manager, again, is the one tasked with implementing those decisions. And I think, if anything, today, the most important thing I would like to get across is the property manager is a tool for implementing decisions made by the board. Um, another one of our largest things that we do as a property manager is to collect your monthly dues <coughs> and special assessments. Um, the collection of that can be very difficult at times. It's at, at the best of times, you maybe see 80% of people paying their dues on time and you know, roughly about the same amount, um, I would say, that pay their, their special assessments on time. And then the follow-up to that is, you know, how strict are your collection policies and um, how aggressive are you wanting the manager to be in collecting those dues and, and those special assessments. And honestly, every board's different. Um, you can have, uh, we have basically a set collection policy and a collection procedure, but most of the boards that I manage, and I think Joe would agree, all of them have ways that they like to tailor that and to look at those to where they make it more palatable for their residents. And, um, you know, we understand that these, that these residents in a, in a homeowner's association are your friends, they're your family, they're the people that you see you know, during the week, you see them at school, you see them at church, you see them at the grocery store. And so oftentimes the manager needs to be the buffer between, you know, a board of directors who lives on site and are dealing with people that are their friends and family and how you take a disinterested third-party approach in the collections and enforcement. Um, that's a good point. That's uh, That's one of the important things for an HOA in collections is um, it's really uncomfortable to you know when you live in a community and maybe you get maybe you guys go to the same church and uh, when they walk by you in the hall and they know that you're in the process of foreclosing on their house they give you a nasty scowl and our job is to protect you from that um, that where you that all of that heat comes to us they for the most part don't know it's the um, the board that's uh, making this decision and uh, the scowls and the nastiness come to us not to the board members that's ideally what we would like to see yeah i think by nature a property manager needs to be very protective of their board members um, boards are a volunteer position let's be honest the pay is horrible mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> you're not gonna take any vacations or <clears throat> have any extra money because you serve on a board but what you are going to do is um, experience you know anger from your fellow residents. Um, very seldom, if ever, will you hear the words thank you. But our job is to kind of buffer and protect our board members from that so that the volunteer experience can be somewhat rewarding for them and and they have a sense of, you know, doing something for their community. And, you know, so our job is to be very protective of that board and that volunteer status and really kind of direct and channel that heat or that anger or any other you know emotions from uh, homeowners towards us so that we can kind of disseminate that and then mm -hmm. work with the board to you know correct issues um, yep. you know another thing that <clears throat> property managers really they're almost like a suggestion box we make recommendations on almost everything we make recommendations on which vendors to use um, we you know especially property management systems being in business for over 60 plus years we have relationships with vendors um, that, you know, are older than some of us here uh, have been alive. And those vendors work with us on pricing and 
um, timing of um, construction or work that they're performing on the community. Most of them have worked with HOAs for years, and so they understand the special requirements for working on an HOA, whether that be insurance requirements or um, you know, timing requirements for the times that you can work and, and how you do that work so you're not intrusive to your neighbors and the other homeowners. And so our job is to make those recommendations and then once the board makes a decision on who they want to use is to work with that person to um, oversee the work and to make sure the work's being done in a timely manner. Most property managers are not um, experts on um, project management but are um, very well versed in the timing and the, um, the work schedule and the workflow. And, you know, we'll make recommendations if there needs to be project management from an outside company. I know Joe has worked with outside companies yeah. on project management, things like that. I think there's um, uh, probably about 30 years ago, I would hire roofing contractors to do complete roof replacements on bigger projects without a engineer. But uh, through uh, hard knocks and uh, figuring it out, uh, you, I can't stress an engineer enough when you're spending big bucks on these projects. Uh, probably the example I, that I use quite a bit is flashing when you're replacing your roof. It just seems like every single roofing contractor that I talk to, when I go out there and talk to them, say that they put flashing in all areas when they replace a roof. What, Charles, what's your, if you don't have an engineer and holding their feet to the fire, what's your experience on flashing? Is that a hot topic for you? Is that just me? No, it's a hot topic all the way around. Um, <clears throat> flashing seems to be where some contractors will either skimp on the contract because they can save money on flashing. Uh, flashing can be one of the more expensive things that you do on roofing, and if they can save money on that and um, still charge a good fee, their their profit margins they increase. But flashing is also a point where you have most of your leak your leak intrusions, whether it be ice dams um, coming up through the flashing in the lower portion of the shingles, or uh, rain issues, or even just separation from the roof with your flashing that helps hold in your soffit and fascia. Um, Flashing is a huge thing, and without someone that can hold their feet to the fire and ensure that, it, one, they're using proper materials, proper grade materials, and proper installation of the flashing, those are things that we find a couple years later are where we really have problems with, whether it be new roofs or repair jobs on roofs, it becomes a very big deal. So, <coughs> generally the numbers that I've heard of uh, for budgeting purposes and uh, general idea of what, it, what an engineer should cost is generally about 10% of the total project. So if you have a million dollar project, in theory, uh, you should be uh, spending about, what? Um, about 100000 About $100,000. That's too high. I, if I was, I would say on a million dollar project, Somewhere between twenty to thirty thousand. Would that be about what you for a million dollar project? Uh, yeah, project? I actually have two million dollar projects going on right now, and that's about the average of what we're going to spend on in, on engineering um, <clears throat> advice and oversight on both of those projects. And honestly, it's it's worth its weight in gold to make sure that those things are done correctly, whether it's 
earthquake repairs or structural repairs or, as Joy pointed out, roofing and flashing, which is a, a huge one, especially in the state of Utah. It is, it is worth the, the, the money and the outlay of that expense to ensure that the job is done right. Um, it will save probably double that amount in the future of yep. repairs and, and maintenance. Yeah. If I were to guess, with this, your experience, I, I'm curious about your experience on this, but my experience is if, if we had a roof that was not completed by, uh, reviewed by an engineer versus one that was, maybe uh, issues would probably start in about 12 to 15 years for a roof that did not have an engineer and maybe closer to 20 years for one that has an engineer. Would that maybe be a... You're probably talking 5 to 10 years longer useful life at least. No, oh, absolutely. I think you get at least 5 to 10 years more useful life and you have you know some ammunition to go back to the vendor when you do start having problems if you've had an engineer review it where at that point the engineer can come back and review and make sure that they're helping us hold their feet to the fire on warranty work and installation and making sure that they had followed all of the guidelines so that oftentimes your warranties will be determined on especially on roofing membrane roofs and things like that will depend on the installation and if the installation was done correctly you have a much better chance of getting warranty money and warranty backup from say the manufacturer of a roofing membrane or roofing shingles but if the installation was done incorrectly um, those manufacturers are very slow um, almost to the point of refusing to warranty their product and then you're stuck with trying to work with the vendor um, to warranty that work and um, it becomes a much more difficult proposition to get warranty work done. Okay, mm -hmm. I think we've covered that nicely in a macro so. version, <laughs> we have. in a large. Right. So, uh, looks like our next item is uh, going to the uh, community as a whole. And one of the big values of the community as a whole is in an HOA, what really increases value is un uniformity, and everything look the same. When there becomes troubles with that is in you pull in a community and you see um, vehicles on blocks or um, the big one I have in Park City right now is propane heaters on decks right next to the building and they're damn near about to start the building on fire. There's big black spots on the side of the building. I've seen um, a few of those, barbecue grills and yeah. things like that that love to start fires. So it seems to be a hot topic with insurance companies nowadays. Very much so. Um, but what is your thought on um, enforcing rules? How, see, our standard management contract includes, I think, is it one inspection a month? One inspection monthly. To go through and look for violations and issues like that. What's your, uh, what's your experience on uh, dealing with owners and violations well there's a couple different prongs to that one is that um, contractual contractual obligation obligates your manager to be on the property at least once a month doing an inspection looking for violations looking for opportunities to do repairs maintenance things of that nature um, I think there's often a misconception that the manager should be seeing violations every day and and addressing those every day when generally your managers on site maybe once or twice a month so oftentimes we rely on board members and people that are there every day to communicate those violations to us and then there are things that when those are communicated to us that on that monthly visit we can take a look at those get pictures and then we can address the enforcement of that 
Um, there's often that misconception that the property manager is to be the all-knowing, all-seeing um, authority on any rules violation that happens, and if something's missed, then um, it gets pushed back to the property manager. But the enforcement of that also is something that homeowners, um, nobody likes to get that letter in the mail from the property management company saying, you know, your yard looks horrible, you need to clean up your yard, get your car off the blocks, um, please take down the satellite dish that's, you know, large enough to, commu to communicate with NASA and run the space shuttle off your roof. Um, you have 26 ducks in your backyard. They can't all be service animals, so <coughs> we need to address that. That's a true story, by the way. 26? 26 ducks. That's a good number. I had uh, half a dozen ostriches, so you got me on the numbers there. Yeah, and I, I also think it's a very interesting day when your property manager needs to know what the city ordinance is on how many chickens <laughs> and how far the chicken coop needs to be away from the back door in any community. So you're telling me if I had too many Chickens, Charles, you're going to send me a warning letter? I'm going to send you a couple warning letters. <laughs> so let's, let's understand what I'm going to get. So the, are you going to find me right out of the chute? No, right out of the chute, we're going to send you a nice, warm, fuzzy letter that says, Hey, Joe, glad you love chickens. We all love chickens. Everything tastes like chicken. We love chickens. Um, we're going to need you to either decrease the amount of chickens or your HOA rules say this is our, our rules based on fowl or poultry or, you know, any number of things, you know, a number of pets. And we're going to ask you to come into compliance. We're going to give you a, a correction period, usually about two weeks, to correct the issue. And then we're going to come out and inspect in a couple of weeks to see if you've corrected the issue. <clears throat> if you've corrected the issue, we move along, no harm, no foul, everything's fine. Speaking of foul. Yeah, speaking of foul. <laughs> but if the issue's not corrected, that's when we start with the fine schedule. And fine schedules are usually pretty standard um, for HOAs in the state of Utah. You're looking at a $25, $50, $75 escalating fine for each time you go out and the its situation hasn't been corrected, and that can go up exponentially to while you're getting into hundreds of dollars per incidence um, if you are if you're not correcting the issue. So, just my thought on that is kind of for the last thirty years that I've been in it, twenty five dollars is that starting fine. It seems like uh, twenty five dollars, in my experience right now, just doesn't cut it. Twenty five dollars doesn't get any movement generally. It seems, it seems that uh, what I've been saying lately is $100 is the new $25. I agree. Would that be a fair statement? That would be a very fair statement. $100 seems to start getting movement. Um, so we send out the warning. Uh, I decide to keep the foul. And you send me a $100 fine. And I continue to feed my chickens in my backyard and uh, sell eggs so and nobody's here surprised that you're keeping the chickens joe i'm just telling you <laughs> joe's very insubordinate that way so uh let's just say there's people out there that just don't follow the rules probably the biggest one that i see that i give an example is is smoking and in, in utah there's the utah clean air act um and it doesn't allow smoke to drift and when I send out that first warning sm letter for smoking, I get one of two responses. The first response is, and the one that I love is, Joe, you know what? I know I've got a smoking problem. It's an awful habit, and I need to stop. And this is a great opportunity for me to quit. That's what we're hoping for. The other one is they know they can't quit, and they um, come out like a 
the closest thing I've, I, I can think of would be a, um, that you've cornered a bobcat. And the bobcat comes out uh, just angrier than hell and swinging with its paws and wants to bite you and scratch you. Um, those happen quite a bit. That person um, is going to take it all the way. And that's uh, what, what's the what's the maximum fines we can do, Charles? Is it what have you had? A, I assume you've had it. I think here the maximum we can find monthly is five hundred dollars per offense. So yeah. if they had like three different offenses, like smoking and maybe a car, each one of those could be five hundred dollars. Yeah. Is that right? They absolutely. So they go four or five months, and they haven't paid their five hundred dollar fines. Mm-hmm. Then. What I normally do is put a lien on the unit. Yeah, at that then, point we file a lien and turn it over to collections, and then costs for them go up exponentially because the homeowners are required to pay the collection fees, and the attorneys bill those collection yeah. fees directly to the homeowner. So it can become very expensive very quickly. I my, I had one yeah. last year that uh, we were we were within a couple of weeks of foreclosing on it, but the. Um, the fines and attorney fees were about seventy thousand dollars, so uh, that person lost seventy thousand dollars in equity when they sold their unit because they couldn't stop smoking. So that's where this can go. We don't like to do that. It's probably the worst thing of our job is to have to do this. Um, but you just got to remember that there were um, units around there. Uh, that the smoke was drifting into their unit every day and they had uh, kids and the kids were sick and uh, there was a lot of problems. It, that's, a, that's a big one. That enforcement is, is a really big deal and you want to make sure that uh, we're enforcing that. That's a big part of making sure that uh, people are happy and they have a good place to live. Yeah, enforcement, and nobody likes to get those enforcement letters and I often joke that, just for example, with landscaping, every time the Um, landscapers cut the grass I get 10 phone calls five people tell me we're cutting it too short five people tell me we're cutting it too long and then the two bonus phone calls is you're watering too much you're not watering enough and so enforcement of these things everybody has a different idea of how their HOA should look and how um, things should be administered and run and at the end of the day all the property manager can do is act as an extension of the board and enforce rules and regulations as they interpret them through the CCNRs, and um, that's really about all we can do. And it kind of dovetails nicely into one of our last things is your property manager is not going to give you legal advice. A good property manager will direct you to where you can get legal advice and help you find industry professionals that specialize in HOA litigation and law and that can, for lack of a better term, keep you out of the weeds as an HOA and make sure you stay on a path that... um, is defensible should something ever go to court or defensible should something ever go to mediation and so we're not going to give you legal advice a good property manager is going to send you in the direction of industry professionals that can do that for you and I know you talked last week um, in the podcast about insurance Joe and that kind of dovetails into our next one about how we act as a liaison with the insurance company yeah um, insurance is a really hot issue um, that last uh, podcast was on your HO6 policy for your um, individual owners 
And I would probably say, you know, finances are one of your most important things, but right, 1A, 1B would be uh, insurance and making sure that you've got a good insurance agent and uh, that you get the proper coverages is a really big deal. Generally, what I see with some insurance policies right now, when you make a claim, the first response is no. And you've got to make sure that you've got a good agent and a good policy to sort through that and make sure that if it is a, is a, uh, uh, it's legit, that it does get processed the way it should. That's a big deal. And also what we do as far as insurance is it's very important that we make sure that the vendors that work on your property are properly insured with workman's comp, general liability, that we have a business license and a W-9 from them. This is all things designed to <clears throat> protect the HOA. It doesn't make our job easier to demand this from vendors. It actually makes it difficult sometimes because there's a lot of vendors out there that have a portion of those items or have none of those items. And oftentimes board members do not understand why we would withhold a check until we have those. But for an example, if a, a vendor's out there working on your community without workman's comp and they hurt themselves on your community, um, that could be catastrophic for an HOA because you suddenly become the de facto workman's comp yeah. insurance for that vendor and now you're paying for that and possibly also receiving violation fines from the state for not requiring workman's yeah. comp and, and requesting those things. I um, had that discussion <clears throat> with, a, with our board uh, last night, that very issue is there's just some contractors out there that, that won't get workers' comp no matter what you do. It's more of a business decision or a philosophy not to get it. And it's hard uh, to have to pass that vendor because they just don't follow the requirements uh, from the state to have workers' comp. And um, I guess kind of in <clears throat> kind of wrapping this up is really what your property manager is there is to provide advice and direction to the board of directors and um, how to maintain and operate your community and then to once that direction and uh, advice has been received by the board to then act on their decisions mm -hmm. and to you know ensure that we're protecting the board protecting your community and protecting the value of your homes so yeah that's excellent charles thank you so just kind of uh to tie in to the beginning again the forest with the trees is uh, you know all these items we talked about finances uh, maintenance and repairs uh, uh, insurance violation letters that in my mind is pruning the trees fertilizing the trees making sure the forest is healthy those items we talked about make sure that your association stays healthy then it's your responsibility it, which is the fun part in my mind is guiding the forest which way do you want do you want this year, do you want to uh, 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 replace the roofs? Do you want to paint? What what direction do you want uh, the association to go? That's and that seems to be the fun part. And if we can protect the the board from these items we talked about here, it makes it a, a an actually uh, enjoyable, uh, as you said, symbiotic relationship between right. the association and the property manager and the board of directors. I, that's all I've got. Charles, you got anything? Um, just one thing you had brought up earlier is that it's also the property manager's job to provide updates on legislative, legis legislative updates and things that go through the legislature. There's usually one or two bills every year that are passed that affect homeowners associations, and it's our job to stay up on those industry um, 
industry changes and to provide updates to the board on that just so that they can continue to operate within you know legal guidelines but yeah i think that's all i have it's yeah. a, a symbiotic relationship with property managers and we're yeah. happy to do that okay well thanks charles it was fun talking to you happy yeah. to be here all right expect a letter on your ducks okay and your chickens all right <laughs> expect me to fight it and we'll see where this goes it's gonna be fun <laughs> <laughs> so. have a good day thanks guys bye